When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Wednesdays, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. And you know who I am certain is having a great Wednesday right now. How about Miami Dolphin fans? Yes, another blockbuster in what has been the wildest offseason in the NFL that I can imagine. So many different moving parts. Russell Wilson from the Seahawks to the Broncos. Ordinarily, just one move like that would be incredible. Tom Brady retires and then comes back. You got Deshaun Watson going to the Browns. You got Matt Ryan going to the Colts. So many different Aaron Rodgers decides to return. Then Devontae Adams heads out to the Raiders. And now you have got arguably the most explosive offensive weapon over the last five years or so. Tyreek Hill, Kansas City Chief, star wide receiver, decides that he has to have Devontae Adams money or he wants out. Kansas City Chiefs are not willing to give him Devontae Adams money. And so they allow him and his representatives to negotiate in the NFL And there are ultimately two bidders that come to the table in a significant fashion, the Jets and the Dolphins. The Dolphins put the most on the table and boom, Tyreek Hill is now a Miami Dolphin. Couple of details here, four-year, $120 million contract for Tyreek Hill featuring $72.2 million of that dollar figure guaranteed Uh, which is a monster amount for an NFL wide receiver. What do the Kansas City Chiefs get back? Well, uh, a 2022 first-round pick, the number 29 overall pick, a second-round pick at 50, a fourth-round pick, as well as fourth and sixth-round picks in the 2023 draft. That is what the Miami Dolphins are giving to get Tyreek Hill. Let's talk about the Dolphins side of this trade first. The Dolphins are now going to be able to bring to bear. All right? Think about this for a minute. At the wide receiver position, they will have Jalen Waddell who put up incredible numbers in year one and they will pair him with Tyreek Hill. That is the two most explosive wide receivers on the field together to ever play together in NFL history. Put simply, given what the rules are like now, if Tua can be accurate and if he can be protected by the offensive line of the Miami Dolphins, then with Waddle and with Tyreek Hill, the Dolphins are going to be an explosive offensive football team. Again, Jalen Waddle as a rookie put up incredible numbers. You will not be able to double consistently either of those guys the speed that they are going to bring to bear on the football field is going to be without parallel in the history of the NFL now again 
You still have to be able to block for Tua. Tua still has to read defenses correctly and get the ball to them. And by the way, if he doesn't, Teddy Bridgewater is sitting there as a backup and Teddy Bridgewater has proven to be a really consistent, reliable guy. Not a lot of sizzle to his game, but you don't have to have a lot of sizzle to your game if you get the ball to Waddle and if you get the ball to Tyreek Hill in space and on time. So, I love the move by the Miami Dolphins. Brian Flores has to be sitting around like, wait a minute, you guys fired me and then you go out and make all these commitments on the offensive side of the ball such that I really do believe the Dolphins are now the second best team in the AFC East. If I were ranking the AFC East team, sorry Jets fans, Jets fans are the uh, perpetual bridesmaid here. They were the runner-up on the Tyreek Hill deal. Uh, When you look at what is going on here, the dollars that are being put to bear on the offense surrounding Tua while he's still under his rookie contract, no more excuses. Tua is either the guy or he's not. They have given him enough resources to be able to make this play happen. All right? So, that in and of itself is a storyline worth following. How about what's going on with the Chiefs? Uh, This is a story that is also mirrored in what the Green Bay Packers had to do. Devontae Adams wanted all-time wide receiver record money. Same thing was true with Tyreek Hill. The problem is, if you're going to give Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes nearly $50 million a year, the NFL salary cap does not allow you to expense $50 million on a quarterback and also then follow it up with $25 million on a wide receiver. That's 75 out of the $210 million or so that is uh, distributed across the entirety of an NFL roster. So what the Packers had to do when they traded Devontae Adams and what you're going to see now the Kansas City Chiefs have to do is they got to move on from their proven big-time playmakers and they have to get younger. And this was the underrated aspect associated with Tom Brady and the dynasty that existed in, in, uh, New, in New England. They went out and replaced time after time the major cogs of the offense for Tom Brady. They went out and found Wes Welker. Then they replaced him with Julian Edelman. And they found Randy Moss. And think about all the running backs that cycled in and out for the New England Patriots. The quarterback's duration of contract and duration of career is so much longer than the wide receiver or the tight end or the running back that even though Patrick Mahomes is young, the question that will be put forward and challenging for the Kansas City Chiefs is this one. How do you build other elite talent around your quarterback that is younger and doesn't cost as much once your quarterback wants $45 or $50 million a year? This now is the challenge that the Green Bay Packers are going to undertake. This will be the challenge that the Kansas City Chiefs will undertake. And the question will be, how much of the success that we have seen so far has been brought to bear based on the talent of the quarterback such that the quarterback can make a lot of people look really good and how much is out there that is based on the individual talent of the wide receiver as well and how do you assess a wide receiver's value compared to a quarterback's value. This is the choice and this is the decision that a lot of teams are going to have to make in the years ahead because when Devontae Adams 
and Tyreek Hill are posting big number contracts like this, A.J. Brown is looking around and saying, okay, I'm next up on this roster of wide receivers that's going to expect 20 plus million dollars a year. How much are you willing to commit to those guys and what is their impact going to be? I'm intrigued to see what the Packers can do without Devontae Adams and now what we can see Patrick Mahomes do for the first time in his career without Tyreek Hill. I think it's going to be a really interesting question. Uh, Now, this also, so that's a big story going on. Who knows what might be next? But this also continues the amount of players that have made the move from the NFC to the AFC. Uh, Think about this with me. Russell Wilson, NFC to AFC. Matt Ryan, NFC to AFC. Devontae Adams, NFC to AFC. Amari Cooper, NFC to AFC. Tyreek Hill, staying in the AFC but moving from a good team to a team that's going to be better now. Deshaun Watson, stays in the AFC. Von Miller, moves from the Rams to the AFC with the Bills. Uh, J.C. Jackson, stays in the AFC. Khalil Mack, moves back over to the AFC. Jerron Armstead, AFC. Chandler Jones, Robert Woods. All of these guys moving from the NFC to the AFC. It is amazing to look at this and see how much talent there is rolling in from the NFC to the AFC when arguably the AFC might have already been uh, the better side of this equation. And by the way, I didn't talk a lot about Matt Ryan, but this is now, was it the seventh straight year that the Colts have had a new quarterback to start week one? Andrew Luck in 2016. Scott Tolzane, I didn't remember that, 2017. Andrew Luck, 2018. Jacoby Brissett, 19. Phillip Rivers, 20. Carson Wentz, 21. And now Matt Ryan in 22. It's amazing how many different quarterbacks the Colts have had uh, discussing that Matt Ryan situation uh, going forward. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. Uh, Also, uh, in addition to the domination that we have seen taking place in terms of players getting big contracts and all the trades that have gone on, we got to talk about what's going on with the announcing teams. Troy Aikman and Joe Buck leave Fox to go to Monday Night Football. And now you've got Thursday Night Football, which is now going to be distributed by Amazon and still the NFL Network. And they just announced a little bit over an hour ago that Kirk Herbstreet and Al Michaels is going to be their tandem calling those games. And thanks to Tony Romo getting almost $18 million a year, now Troy Aikman gets $18 million a year, now Kirk Herbstreet gets right at $18 million a year, Al Michaels uh, and Joe Buck, the overall inflation rate and dollars that are being spent on announcers 
is going through the roof in uh, these NFL contracts, uh, in the NFL television contracts. Why is that occurring? Well, I think it's because of all the screw-ups that we saw from ESPN at Monday Night Football. When John Gruden went back to coaching and when Mike Tirico left the booth, ESPN fell flat on its face with multiple hires and instead of continuing to try to find a new tandem or a new trio that worked ESP for Monday Night Football, ESPN finally just said, we're not going to risk this anymore. We'll go buy a certain success and we'll go get Joe Buck and we'll go get Troy Aikman. They've been calling NFL games together for 20 years. We'll plug them in. They're not going to be a disaster and they will be the solution going forward for us. Now Fox is gambling on the idea that they are going to be able probably to promote from within and find a new duo that doesn't cost as much money and can be as good as Aikman and Buck going forward although I think it remains to be seen exactly how uh, that will all be put together. But that's clearly the gamble that's going on as all of this money is rolling in hand over fist into the modern NFL broadcast. And frankly, a big part of this is also, again, ESPN's failure. You don't want to upset the NFL because you want them to give you as good of games as possible. So what ESPN is gambling on with their Monday Night Football move is that Troy Aikman and Joe Buck are well-liked by NFL executives. And so as a result, maybe they get a little bit better options for Monday Night Football games than they otherwise would because the NFL knows that ESPN's not going to fall all over itself uh, telling those stories. Uh, All right, a couple of different stories that I think are important. Uh, This was in the New York Times editorial page today. I was reading it this morning. You might have seen me talk alongside of Buck Sexton about it on the program. And uh, that story, which I think is a pretty good one, is uh, it's a guest essay by Mike Madrid. Uh, and he said, While Democrats debate Latin X, Latinos head to the GOP. Um, and this is an interesting story that I do think there is a great deal of truth to, that Democrats have gone so left-wing in their cultural obsessions that much of the language, for instance, that they use doesn't connect with regular people. And I'll give you an example. Only 3% of Latinos use the term Latinx, which uh, left-wing Democrats have tried to put on uh, to the Latino community. Uh, 9%, however, of white liberals think it's the most appropriate term to use. And this is wild. I saw this stat. Only 14% of Latinos with a high school degree or less had ever even heard of the term Latinx. And so what you're getting here is a major cultural disconnect which is pushing Republicans, uh, a Latino population, into Republicans. Think about this. Um, this, This is pretty wild, the progression. In 2012, Latinos supported Barack Obama over Mitt Romney 71 to 29. So basically 7 to 3 was the breakdown uh, in 2012. 66% of Latinos went for Hillary Clinton to 34% going for Donald Trump. And by 2020, 
it was 59-41. to 41, Meaning, in the space of eight years, uh, Democrats have lost 12% of their support from Hispanics. Now, this is worth paying attention to because I think it's a big story. Now we are talking, potentially, in the 2022 midterms, according to, for instance, the Wall Street Journal poll that came out recently, Hispanics being roughly dead even in terms of whether they support Republicans or Democrats, with the trend lines obviously moving very rapidly in the direction of Hispanics coming on board with Republicans. And I think that could certainly become a majority of Hispanic support for Republicans by 2024. I think this is a story really worth following in a big way because my prediction, and I've been making this prediction for a while, is that in 2022 and in 2024, we are going to see the collapse of the Democratic Party as we know it, which is founded on two key tenets, identity politics and also uh, cancel culture. And I always say, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party's left me. That's a quote from Ronald Reagan, but I think it's a quote that many people feel as the Democratic Party has become so left-wing and so woke and so driven by whatever is popular on social media any given day, responding to the emotion there, that it has lost touch to a large extent with men, but also with Asians, with Hispanics, and also with black voters, where Republicans are gaining in all of those tenets. Uh, finally, we've got the uh, Supreme Court uh, Judiciary Committee, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee, considering Supreme Court nominee uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson, who is there to replace Stephen Breyer. And I don't know how many of you saw much of the testimony that happened yesterday and is currently going on as we speak today, but Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Senator Blackburn asked a question that got right to the essence of the Democratic Party having lost their way and how out of touch with reality they have become. She asked a very simple, transparent, not difficult question. Senator Blackburn asked Katanji Brown Jackson, Judge Jackson, to define what a woman is. Pretty simple, right? Most kids, if they are in kindergarten, could tell you what the difference is between a man and a woman. Defining what a woman is should not be complicated. Katanji Brown Jackson said, I'm not a biologist. Hold on. You have to be a biologist now to define the difference between men and women? I got to give credit to Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire who has been pointing out this question for some time. And what's going on is Democrats are so afraid of offending the transgender community that they won't even define what a woman is anymore because they are afraid of excluding people who have decided they want to become women. And so, to me, this is a massive story that perfectly illustrates the way that the Democrats have lost their uh, perspective. Now, I don't think it's going to change any of these hearings, the opinions of the Democrats, because really, there's only one Democrat who probably stands to gain politically by not supporting this nomination, 
and that is uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia. And that's only if Manchin wants to run in 2024 in a state that is the most overwhelmingly Trump-supporting state in the union. Uh, And so I think it's very likely that we will get Ketanji Brown-Jackson on the Supreme Court. But if really Joe Manchin wanted to, uh, to make the break with the Democratic Party and ensure himself re-election in two years in 2024, one way that he could do it, and he's already done it a little bit by saying to his credit that he's not going to support Joe, uh, Joe Biden's massive Build Back Better bill, one way that he could do it is by, uh, is by saying, hey, I'm not going to support Ketanji Brown-Jackson, uh, which would throw everything into an uproar in the Democratic Party and probably require Manchin to change parties. I don't think he's going to do it. I think that maybe a couple of uh, Republicans will vote to, uh, to put Ketanji Brown-Jackson on the Supreme Court. Uh, but ultimately, uh, this is a lot of show, and much of that show, political theater as it may be, is demonstrating how out of touch the Democratic Party has become with much of the rest of the country, which is why I think we're going to get an onslaught, uh, a major red wave in 2022, and uh, potentially carry forward into 2024. I love all of you. My name is Clay Travis. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. Go give us five stars. Love all of you who watch these shows on YouTube. Your comments are fantastic. I appreciate all of you. Uh, I've got my kids reading them, and they are fantastically entertained uh, by many of your comments. They are big-time YouTubers. If you're watching this on YouTube and you enjoy any of this, go ahead and click subscribe. This has been OutKick, the show.